This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. June is historically a month when new crop corn and soybean prices plateau and then begin to gradually slide lower as we move toward fall harvest. But is this a typical year? How are planting concerns, higher input prices, inflation, and global conflicts impacting what will take place in 2022? Chip Flory provides his insights on what we can expect. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for farmers are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with higher prices, you still need nitrogen, and in today's world, I'm looking for ways to increase bushels while still using more sustainable farming methods. That led me to Pivot Bioproven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. Chip Flory is a regular guest on our show, and we are usually talking about the markets and the key factors ag producers should be considering when making business decisions. Once again, we will tackle those issues, but one of the items I wanted to discuss this time was whether 2022 was setting up as a typical, I put that word in quotes, year. Meaning, will this be a year when planting and weather concerns bring us to the highest prices sometime in June for new crop corn and beans before gradually sliding lower throughout the rest of the growing season? Of course, a drought or a major global issue like the one in Ukraine can change things quickly, but I wanted to get Chip's thoughts on where we stand as much of the seed is in the ground for this new season. Chip Flory is my guest. Of course, you've heard Chip many times, not only in this show, but on AgriTalk. Chip, good to visit with you here, and I'm just going to jump right into things. We're in early June, and I'm interested what you're hearing from farmers across really the Midwest or even the country on planting progress. I'm sure it depends by location, but what are you hearing out there? Yeah, there is no question that uh, the planting season in 2022 has been a bit of a challenge. It's not just the northwest production areas either. Uh, you get over into the eastern Corn Belt, uh, far eastern Indiana, parts of Ohio, dealing with some soggy field conditions over there and some delayed planting. So I think we, we've been, kind of been conditioned this spring to focus only on the northwest production areas, but we've got those areas in the far eastern belt. And I should mention some spots in Michigan as well that we need to watch for. But the real delays up in uh, uh, North Dakota, northern South Dakota, northwest Minnesota, the Red River Valley, uh, some real issues up there. And it's not just because of corn plantings. Here we are, we're past the the final plant date for prevent plant. But what I've been told from by agronomists, uh, producers they're going to stick with corn until about june 5th then it's going to be a weather forecast issue if 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 come june 5 the forecast looks good for getting in the field they'll add a couple of days to that i think and stick with corn just because of the potential returns 
if if the forecast doesn't look good, then it's a question of do we go ahead and make the changeover and get to planting some some soybeans. Uh, there's going to be a real incentive to get something in the field over taking prevent plant. And because of that, I, I think they stick with soybeans as long as they can. Seven million acres in North Dakota is what we are have got for planting intentions in the spring of of 22. Seven million acres of soybeans in North Dakota. So we got to get some of that crop in, or we're going to be wondering how in the world are we going to feed into that export market that that uh, we we need to fill. The other thing to, that we've got to be thinking about is. When you look at southern Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, southern South Dakota, Kansas, even parts of Missouri where you're at, Illinois, Indiana, there was that week in the middle of the month that allowed for growers to basically catch up. Not saying that it's ideal, not saying that everything went into perfect field conditions, not saying that that it doesn't leave us behind the eight ball trying to get that much work done in such a short period of time. But we did get caught up in a lot of cases. And just the simple fact that we got caught up means that we are in a in a position now that we can start thinking about what that national average yield is going to be and whether or not we can add on a couple of bushels to the to the four bushels that were taken off of the trend line yield back in the May supply and demand report. When we look back at other years, do you think, though, you know, every year it seems like we have places that maybe can't get in. There's trouble areas. So are we that much different than what we would consider an average year, you think? No, I think there are a few more acres. And especially when we think about this is going to sound a little weird. I I think especially when we talk about soybeans, because North Dakota is supposed to have 7 million acres of beans. Well, if we get to that June 5th when they decide that it's time to stop planting corn and they start looking at alternative crops, the first thing they're going to look at is even more soybeans. Well, if the weather forecast doesn't support it and then prevent plant becomes the option, and I I know that you can prevent plant corn and then come back with a second crop later. But if if the weather forecast or the weather in general doesn't support planting beans, Holy smokes, Andrew, we we are going to have uh, we're going to have a problem uh, getting enough bean acres planted this year. And and when you've got seven million acres up there in North Dakota that are sketchy, and and here we are on June one, and it's sketchy already. My goodness gracious, I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. What about your way? Things getting done? Northwest Missouri would be typical of a lot of places. There are some that are completely done, but yet there are others. Um, you know, I talked to somebody just this morning who said they don't have any soybeans in the ground at all. Uh, it's not that we've had lots of rain, but I think we've had, I'll say it, timely rains that have just come along at the right time so that you couldn't get in the field for long. And if you no-till like we do, you're probably going to be waiting another day or two because you just have to have a little bit drier. It takes a little while to dry out. 
Um, so, but you mentioned that week in May, in mid-May there, and when a lot of people ran, and that's when we got the corn done. So at least all the corn's in the ground, but still some beans to go. Not many, uh, but just a few. So I guess we feel good, all things considered. But I think what you're saying is what I'm hearing as well. So based on that then, we many times see, I'm going to call it this magical point in June when suddenly everybody feels like, okay, everything's in and now the crop prices begin to slide all the way toward harvest, unless there's going to be some blip out there with a drought, which could always happen. Do you think this year sets up that way? We're here sometime in June. We're still worried. Are we going to get all the crop in? And then there's always that that week where everybody says, okay, it, it's all fine now. And we all regret that we should have done something earlier with, with uh, our crop that we have in the ground. How does this year set up? Um, I think it's going to set up pretty similar. And the reason that I say that is you have to watch how the trade is reacting to the weather forecast. We had some rain in the forecast last week and traders reacted negatively with prices to it. So in other words, they are viewing rains as positive for crop potential rather than a negative on getting every acre planted. So I think we're to that point already that we are into the summer weather pattern. And that means that that forecast for rains and and, and I'm talking primarily outside of that northwest production area. If we've got rain in the forecast for the central and even the eastern corn belt, I think that's going to be a negative for the markets. And if that's a negative for the markets, then you kind of have to assume that we're going to see the typical seasonal pattern play out in here. And honestly, I think a lot of the trade went through that transition in the week leading up to the Labor Day, uh, leading up to Memorial Day weekend. So, kind of right on schedule, Andrew. So, does that mean then that producers should be looking at marketing more of their crop than normal, about the same? Or I think all of us are worried about so many uncertainties. I mean, outside of agriculture, we've got, you know, war in Ukraine and all kinds of different things that could happen. So does that leave enough uncertainty in it that we don't do perhaps what we should be doing, which is take advantage of some prices that are comparatively high? I know that it all depends on the input prices and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Prices are elevated. I mean, if anybody wants to argue with you, if, you know, when you say, say that prices are high, well, they're not that high because of input costs. Eh, forget that. Prices are high. Uh, we've still got high prices for corn. We've still got high prices for soybeans. And yes, we still have high prices for fertilizer, although they have come down. Uh, we've still got high prices on fuel. That hasn't. So the 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 arguments, the inflationary arguments are still out there and still part of the the uh, the equation that we've got to solve to try to figure out is now the right time to be making some sales or should we be holding off? Um, my attitude all along on this rally has been to sell into price strength. And I'm not talking about just one day up, but when you get that back-to-back-to-back rally, you better reward it. Uh, conversely, because of the uncertainty that is still out there, because of the unknown influence that, that that a food riot in Sri Lanka 
might end up having on the grain market and the, and the attitude going forward. I've been, uh, I, I've been, um, my attitude has been to stay away selling weakness. So if you get the one, two, three days down, don't panic. Uh, wait for that one, two, three days back up and continue to sell into strength rather than selling into weakness. Um, I think that still works at least for the month of June. You get us into July, if we're not seeing any production problems out there, and if we are seeing, I should say, any additional production problems out there, and we are seeing the kind of weather pattern in place that might help us add on two of the bushels that were taken off the national average trend line yield on corn, bump that back up to a 179. Uh, then I, I think then we can start thinking about now is the time that we need to start selling into some weakness. But I, I don't think we're there yet. Well, and even when we talk about weakness, what is weakness now? How far do we go back? Because certainly we have moved the floor quite a bit higher, it looks like. Oh, we certainly have. Uh, there, there's, there's, yeah, and that's a great question. What is selling into weakness? I mean, here we are, December corn above seven bucks. Um, do we start saying, okay, it's a legitimate bear market when we get through six seventy five or six fifty? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. And and uh, even with the increase in production costs that we've seen for the 2022 crop there's some really good profit opportunities out there and if we would get into that 650 range there's still profit opportunity it's just not as great as it is at this price so uh i i I just think it's going to be a supply side trade until it it, it, until at least we get to pollination on the corn crop. Once we get to that, then it's going to be a question of what. Let, let's start finding the demand again. The thing that could change that, Andrew, is if all of a sudden the demand does start really build back up uh, for U.S. corn and maybe even a little bit of wheat. If all of a sudden we we've got exp- weekly export sales reports and and we're we're starting to beat the trade expectations on those weekly export sales reports that is not going to go unnoticed the market will have to respond to that i there's no question um i just haven't seen any sign that that's going to happen now what might cause that to happen is as we come out of memorial day weekend we've got all these promises and the ideas that that uh, Russia is going to allow a path of passage for some grain coming out of Ukraine. Now that's going to be an exchange for a lifting of some sanctions. I just don't, I I don't think the world is going to, at this point, I don't think the world is going to go along with that. I, I think the sanctions are going to have to re are going to remain in place against Russia. And that, the world in an effort is going to find a way or an attempt to find a way to prevent those food shortages in those critical areas. I'm talking about Africa in particular 
that if they do start to run short on wheat, if they do start to run short on feed, that there will be uh, violence and and riots erupt. Um, I I think there's going to be an effort to make sure that those areas have humanitarian aid getting to where it needs to be rather than just to the port in that country to make sure it makes it all the way to the feed mill, make sure that it makes it all the way to the flour mill, what, whatever has to be done to uh, calm those fears of a food shortage and to move forward without, without wheat coming out of Ukraine, without corn coming out of Ukraine. Because I don't trust Putin, and I don't think anybody trusts Putin. I mean, honestly, would you be on that first boat loaded with Ukrainian wheat making its way out of the Black Sea? There's no way I'd do it. Uh-uh. Talking about the war, how big of an impact has it had on U.S. grain markets? Certainly we think about the, the wheat. And have we really seen the biggest part of that impact yet? We have no idea, of course, what's coming but are we still early into this in a sense because, you know, that crop that was going to be planted, uh, that was just this spring. So we haven't even gotten down the tracks very far when it comes to planting a crop and selling a crop out of Ukraine. Right. That's exactly right. Um, I, I'll admit, I, I was surprised at the wheat market's negative reaction to the reports that Putin was going to allow for that humanitarian pathway out of Ukraine for some of the grain in Ukraine. That really surprised me, the the big negative reaction. In my mind, that is something that is so uncertain will actually happen that you better wait for the boat to get loaded and for it to get out of missile range before you see the kind of reaction in the, in the markets that, that we did. So from 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 just strictly from a market's reaction, yeah, I I think the market is telling us that we have seen the worst of what could be expected from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the worst of the impacts. But uh um if if we if we get another 30, if we get to the end of June and we haven't seen any of that grain moving out of Ukraine, I think we start to claw back some of that in the wheat market in particular. And you think about it, that's when we're going to be harvesting a hard red winter wheat crop that we know is not good. Um, the spring wheat acres will be able to get those all tallied up. What if What if we've got some prevent plant on spring wheat up in North Dakota? So there's there's there are a lot of issues that are going to be coming to a head here in 30 days for that wheat market. And if we haven't seen any progress on getting wheat out of Ukraine, I got to believe that they're going to put some of this the, some of the war premium back on. We mentioned input prices there earlier and, and fertilizer perhaps has, has come off the highs just a bit. But how should we look as we think about fall and yeah, it's a ways away, but it isn't that far either. What do I do in a market in which my input prices are certainly higher than they have uh, been? We experienced some of it in the fall when we put this crop in, but uh, 
for the most part, they aren't uh, going downhill very fast. So does it change? Does it change how I buy my inputs? No, that's right. Yeah, it, it we have seen some pressure on input prices, uh, significant pressure when you get right down to it. I mean, global nitrogen prices have fallen somewhere between 20 and 30 percent. Um, I would argue that that 20 to 30 percent could be added back on very quickly if conditions are right and or if we don't continue to see an increase in production. And with with natural gas prices still doing what they're doing, they're up around 28 or 30 bucks in in Europe, in Germany. Uh, if if we don't see that market start to back off and encourage some additional nitrogen production in the near term, then that's going to be the, the setback that we're seeing right now could be a short term setback. So just a heads up on that. Now, when it comes to the phosphates and the potash, there are several trade issues that are going on. We've got lots of requests that the tariffs that are on dry fertilizer be pulled off, try to make that a little bit more affordable coming in. But the problem is the U.S., New Orleans, has always been one of the cheapest spots in the world when it comes to to fertilizer prices. Now, the reason that we've been able to import, even though our price has been lower, is because the exporters have confidence that when the fertilizer gets here, we'll actually have the cash to pay for it. You send it to other parts of the world, they may not get paid for it for a long, long time, if ever. So the fertilizer is coming. Now, what that's going to do, though, is open it up to anti-dumping. You you can't sell first to the lowest price point. That's the rules of trade. And here we are. The U.S. is the lowest price point, and we're still able to buy because the exporters know they will get paid. It's a weird market, Andrew. It is a weird market, and I wish I had clarity on on what it means for the fertilizer trade going forward. But, boy, you know how uh, on the grain side I was talking about selling into rallies and avoid selling into price weakness? You buy price weakness in the fertilizer. I I, I don't care what it is. If it's lower this week, buy a little bit. Chip, in the time we have remaining, what do you see on the livestock side for cattle and hog producers? I think there's still a little bit of money to be made on the livestock side of things, but the cattle market is really struggling with the idea that these numbers are going to come in a bit heavier in the second half of the year than what they thought was was going to happen. Um, Long-term, long-term, I'm still bullish cattle because of the drought in particular and because of the cow calling and the cow slaughter that we've seen. Our calf crops are just going to be smaller going forward. Our market animal supplies are going to be smaller going forward. And at some point, the cow-calf guy is going to say, that heifer is going to stay here. She's not going to the sale barn. And we're going to take even more beef off of the out of the supply chain. So long-term, I'm still bullish there. On the hog side of things, um. The disease issues that they're having to deal with, I I think, is one of the things that's holding back on expansion. Then you got the feed costs. Then you got the cost of the lumber and materials to build a new finishing house. The expansion is not happening on the hog finishing side of things. And because of that, I think we're going to see a choppy market. But I also think we're going to see a market that's going to provide some opportunity for profits going forward. 
And Chip, you're always talking to folks in the industry. Any news on legislation dealing with packers and cattle pricing? No, I think that there's going to be some continued push for that. I just don't know if we are going to be able to find the consensus. I know the bill is going to, is is out of the Senate Ag Committee, but I just don't think that it's going to find the support in the Senate. Chip, always good to talk to you. Thank you for your time. All right, Andrew. Thank you. As most of you know, you can catch Chip each weekday on the AgriTalk radio show, which is also a podcast where you can get the latest news on markets, ag news, and more. That's it for this week's show. I hope farming and planting are going well wherever you are located. Almost all of our seed is in the ground now. What's up looks good so far, but of course there are many days yet before harvest. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.